he's uh, received. It's an amazing thing. Uh, you come to a place like this, and and uh, for Brother Borders to mention the devils, <laughs> I got. Anyway, um, every region and, and every place you read in the Bible, uh, one place Daniel set his face to fast, and um, he had fasted twenty-one days before, I believe it was the angel Michael that arrived. And when he arrived, he said, from the day that you set your face to pray, I was sent the first day. But he said, the angel, I think it was the, the, the prince of Grisha or, or Persia withstood me 20 and one days. That's, that's Michael. That's the one who kicked Lucifer out of heaven. And to think that some some uh, spiritual wickedness in certain areas of the country are that strong, and uh, and we don't expect all of you to understand that. We really don't. Um, but if you are a young man and young woman, and you want to go somewhere and you want to do a work for the Lord. Um, that's one thing you have to do. You have to make up your mind you're not going to quit. And uh, Brother Borges was not a quitter. He started church, and I'll tell you what he did. I don't know all the details, but I know this much, that he had a good church going in the Dallas. And he, how many families did you take out? Three? Three families and gave them to Brother Surstead to start next next to him, just 20 miles away. And there's a church in both of those towns today. And I just don't know many people have done that. Really. And that was prior to come to LeGrand. And, um, oh, man, what a precious man, Brother Tool, and, and how all this stuff happens. is It's all in the working of God. It's, it's all in the, the power of the Holy Ghost. And Sister Parker and I were so green. Um, I think Brother Satterwhite had come over and Brother Thurstead had come over. And we were having one of the first little meetings in the little church up on the hill. Brother Satterwhite used to bring his church over and we'd play baseball because it took both of our churches to have a baseball game. And we'd go over there. He'd come over here uh, one Saturday and then we'd take a bus or van. He had to come over here the first year or so because we didn't have anything to haul us with. Anyway, um, it, it, it was it was a tremendous time. And Brother Surstead, it was one of his, I guess the first time he met me and and I'd been here nearly a year, and we had some things going on. Brother Terry said it like this. He said, man, Jess, you really got something going if something don't happen. <laughs> and it happened, and it happened more than once. <laughs> but we just kept coming back. We had mass exoduses at times. There were times when people left, and I just thought, oh, my God, you know, all that work. Um, but we found out that, that you you have to you just got to keep coming back. You got to keep getting your Bible, and you got you just got to keep going after it. And you got to fast, and you got to pray, and you got to do a lot of things to break a spirit in a region or in a city. If you're in a town and you're struggling about with growing, you got to break the back of the spirits. That's and and and, and that's not going to be done up speaking at a conference, or uh, it's going to be done on your face. 
Amen. And your plate being turned over. Anyway, Brother Surstead found out in the conversation before service that I was only had local license. And he looked at me and he said, well, you can't pastor church with local license. You have to have a general license. And I said, well, you better go out there and tell them because I've been pastoring them for a year. Maybe you better tell them I'm illegal. <laughs> and Brother Satterwhite did what he did. Now he just turned red as a beat and he just, and just laughed. And I mean, he didn't say anything out loud, but he thought that was so funny. And it was funny because I loved the organization I was with then. And I still love it today. And uh, I got no qualms. That's what I was raised in when I was born. I felt like they left me. I didn't leave them. And that's the way I feel about it. And uh, anyway, uh, it's been a long ride. It's been a fun journey. I'm not here to resign today. So any of you that got a little bit of hope in your heart right there, well... As they say, there may be snow on the roof, but there's still a fire inside. <laughs> Praise God. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord today? Amen. Turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter number four. I, uh, man, I got lots of axes to grind. But I ain't going to grind any of them. There's, there's so many things I see wrong with people and wrong with men. And, and I see it. And I'm right. I think I am. Anyway, the Bible says I am. I'm right in my own eyes. Every man is right in his own eyes. And Romans chapter 14 says this, Who am I to judge another man's servant? And so if I was here to judge other men, I mean, we, it's in our flesh. We always want, we want to pick out the weaknesses and failures of others sometimes to make ourselves feel better. Amen? Saints do that. Women do that dress and they see someone, look at her in that dress, you know. And it's just in us. It's just Parker taught me. No, she, she warned me. She said, I ain't worried about your preaching. I'm worried about what you're going to say before you start preaching. And she reminded me, I'm on Only Ghost Radio. Amen. I love Jeff Hoffer. He's a great, honest man. And uh, we have worked together, and we've had lots of victories, and we've had a few disappointments. And we've stayed friends. Amen. Why? Because we're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. Holy Ghost Radio is a miracle. It really is. And it, it's a, it's a, it was from God. And uh, so those of you that are out there, you're not here. You don't have the feeling of everything here, but I, I'm sure I wrote it down here. HDR, probably 10,000. There are 4,000 radios on, or almost 4,600, I think, last night. There was over 4,000 yesterday, uh, and there's usually two people to a radio and sometimes more. So who knows? You know, I don't want to embarrass the Northwest or my friends. I got a few left, and uh, I would hate to let them down. Praise God. So it's in my heart to do good today. Uh, but I do have something that I want to preach about. It's a Bible lesson. And I want to title it this, and that's the view from my porch. 
that um, in living for God, there's just a lot of things you have to keep your mouth shut about. All right? If you're going to help people, you don't want to kill them or make them hate you and then try to tell them something. All right? For you young preachers, let me tell you this. You got, if you're going to really get somebody, you've got to brag on them first. So Brother Borders might be in trouble. They are, no, I'm teasing. And, and they used to tell me at Beggarsfield, say, man, Brother Parker, you get up there and you play a song with your guitar and you get everybody all softened up and crying and stuff, and then you, bam! <laughs> and I'm not in that mood today. But I really feel like I need to share uh, with you. And, and, and with those that are listening on the radio, uh, the view from my deck or my porch off the back of my house. And that's where you really think everything through. When you're alone and, uh, you know, you've got to get up out of bed. And I have probably one of the most beautiful views from my bed. I, I dare say anyone has a view like I have. Laying on my bed, I can look out the window and we don't have any curtains, never have. And you can see Mount Emily, and you can see those pastures, and oftentimes, often, 100 days a year, there's either deer or elk in that pasture, turkeys, and all kinds of game. It's a beautiful, beautiful view. Sister Parker and I wanted to move out there because for years, on Saturday, we would drive. We lived in town for seven years. We would drive out Hunter Road or out Mount Glen, but we found that piece of property because that's we would just drive out there to calm our spirits down, and a time to pray. And I would, she would read books to our kids, and we would drive around the car, and we always ended up out there where I ended up buying that property. And so we love it. It's, it's a beautiful place. And my second, probably most favorite place to be, is from my desk in here. And so I could, I could name this the view from my desk. And that's when I said, I, I was telling someone the other day about you, Jacob. I don't think I ever told you about this, but let's just wave your hand there. I was watching you one day from my desk, and you'd come out of the school building, and a couple of these Marshallese guys, you was fighting, one of them. And two of them come up behind you, and, and I don't know if he was a little bigger than them or what the deal was, but he had them down on the ground, and he was working them over, this one. And two come up behind him and started working him over. And he, he just ignored him for a while, but he couldn't. Those fists bouncing off the back of his head, he finally turned that one loose and turned and ran and grabbed another one and threw him down. <laughs> and he pounded on him for a while, and then two or three more came and pounded on him. He was being a bully. But I thought, that looks like me. <laughs> I said, that kid's got something. And it went on for about 30 minutes. I mean, it, it didn't, it wasn't five minutes. It went on for 20 or 30 minutes. And I finally went out the door and I said, that's enough. You boys quit fighting. <laughs> but I learned a lot of stuff sitting in that desk looking out that window at all people coming and going and the kids and how they treat each other and the teachers. And, but when I, when I, when I get my eye full at home, I get in my rig and I come down here and I get behind my desk and get me a glass of iced tea. And I watch the saints. I like it. And so I'm preaching from that standpoint. I want to read to you. Excuse me for holding you standing so long. 
But from verse number 11, Ephesians chapter 4, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And let's pray together. You pray for me, I'll pray for you. Father, we love you and we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the touch of God. Thank you, Lord, for all these great people. Oh, God, all these soldiers, all these folks that are willing, God, to to stand against the devil, stand against the spirits of the world. And we ask you, God, to anoint each and every one of us and bless our churches and help us to receive the word of God with gladness. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. You can be seated. Amen. And so, verse 7 said, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now the scripture says that the Spirit was given without measure to Jesus. And so, the man Christ Jesus had all of God in him. All right, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But to each of us is given a measure. And it's not the same measure. It said right there, he ga- and it says here, he gave, look what it says, he, wherefore he saith when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And so God, uh, if we went to the 12th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, we're not going to do that, but it names uh, different gifts, nine there, I believe it names, that uh, God give. Uh, he gives to everybody that receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It is not the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's the gifts that come with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And there's a tremendous difference. If you don't know that difference, then you lack some knowledge that you need to obtain. And find somebody that can teach you a Bible study and sit down with you and explain to you the difference. When If you have a gift of, of, anyway, of healing or of, of tongues or something like that, uh, it came and it comes through the gift of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If it didn't, then what you have came from somewhere else. All right? It, it didn't come from God. And so God gave gifts to men. And so God calls men. The Bible said, uh, isn't it the gifts and calling of God are without repentance? And so we've all seen young men and women be used of God and, and be in the house of God and, and have a gift. Maybe to sing, maybe to teach, maybe to, you know, maybe teach Bible studies, maybe to be a Sunday school, maybe a school teacher, up to evangelists, pastors, and prophets, and, and, and apostles. And I don't expect all of you to understand what all these things mean, but I want to talk about them a little bit today. I want to, and I'm not saying this is the way it has to be. But it's the view from my porch. This is how I see it. And, uh, and, and I think I, I can help somebody if, if they really are willing to listen. Praise God. You have a teachable spirit today? Yes. Amen. So God gives us saints. All right? He gives us saints. And, uh, and, and that's, that's the funnest thing about having church to me. My view, okay? If I don't say every time this is my view and, and you say, I don't see it like that. Well, just understand I got the pulpit today and I'm just giving you kind of like how I see it. If I was going to write a book 
if I was going to, you know, this is the way I see it. You remember Brother Ballesteros one time, he got up and preached, and I got ended up with a CD, I think Brother Booker sent it to me, about um, the household uh, of faith. And it was his testimony. And I'll never forget the portions of that. Some guys got mad because he didn't really preach a sermon. Uh, some of you may have been there, PSR, where he preached it. Um, Household Furniture of the Soul is what he named it. And he talked about coming into the house, and there's a table of righteousness. And walk into the rooms, and there were different pieces of furniture. And he was given his view of the church. We all have a view of the church. And God gives us all a measure of the Spirit, a measure of gift. And, and, and the most tragic thing is for God to give you a gift. Someone here may say, well, I've never operated in any of those nine gifts. And you have the Holy Ghost, and you've never recognized gifts, because he said he gives severally, several of them to men as he will. And so you don't have a choice. You don't get the Holy Ghost without receiving gifts of the Holy Ghost. And, and I think I heard Brother Satterwhite say one time, I think a pastor needs all nine of them. All right, and we may not jump up and give the interpretation of tongues, but we got to be the guy that steps up and say, "Thus saith the Lord," or it's time to sit down. We are instructed to do that. The Bible instructs us the government of the church, and it gives us even numbers. Like if it happens three times and there's no interpretation, then the subject, the spirit, is subject to the prophet. And so the working of the Holy Ghost in a service, in a meeting, is subject to the man in charge. I know, I'm going to hit some stuff today probably that people won't like, but this is just my view from my porch. And, and how I see the church world and why I keep coming back. Amen. And so the first one I want to talk about is teachers. And it seems like he gave these from the greatest to the least. And you can object, you can have your own opinion, but when it said apostles, prophets, evangelists, I have a problem with that one there. <laughs> and I'll just tell you right now, um, we were in that little basement living, and, well, we, I think we'd moved out of the basement and got a house, and we may, I think we were still renting but we lived in the basement of that little church up on the hill for quite a while. And, and Brother Sissel, Craig Sissel, the second year, the second time, one year from the time we were there, and so it had been back in 85, he came to hold us a revival. And, and uh, we didn't have hookups, and so we, we put the trailer on the back lawn, and we dug a sewer at night when it got dark <laughs> in the grass yard. And sis said, don't worry about it, Parker. We, I've done it a lot of times. <laughs> and we just put stuff around. Remember, Brother Copeland, you called me that time. And when you first went to same kind of deal. They, they caught him doing the same thing at Buford, I think. All right? And seriously, he called me, what would you do? <laughs> but we didn't get caught this time. But we just dug it. We dug it, and, and we put it there. And about... I'm telling you what, we had probably the best revival we've ever had in, in La Grande. We prayed eight adults through in that revival. Brother Meddard's got the Holy Ghost in that revival. John McMillan, stand up. You got the Holy Ghost in that revival. Yes, sir. Um, anyway, there were, uh, Brother Wilzine's mother got the Holy Ghost in that revival. 
And it was eight adults. We didn't have, I don't think we had eight adults. Maybe we had 11 at that time after a year, year and a half. But our church nearly doubled in one revival. How many of you have had a revival where your adults doubled? That's a good revival, isn't it? And he was independent then, and I was UPC. Praise God. HDR. It's a funny story. It's a sidetrack, but it's worth telling. That I, I, the church I came from told me, they said, if you find a good evangelist and, and you're doing good and he's doing good, he said, uh, I'll pay for two weeks revival. And so I had about 700 bucks or 600 bucks saved up, Brother Borders. And that's what I was going to pay Craig Sissel for two weeks. I know that ain't, that's not near enough. Okay. But I remember handing him the first check. It was 350 bucks. And we probably, I don't think we'd prayed Angelo through yet, but we prayed a couple through. And I handed him the check. I said, I wish it could be more, brother. He looked at it. He said, me too. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to be friends with this man because he'll square right up to you and tell you what he thinks. But you know what he did? His wife was back at the time. And, and she was with him, but she never prayed a prayer. She never talked to anybody. She didn't do anything but pick at me the whole time she was there. And he just ignored it. And he came, Brother Spell, every service, and he put it on the line, man. I mean, he preached his guts out to a little old bitty church. And, and it taught me something that day. Okay? So about the third week comes, and I called for that extra money, and they said, where is he from? I said, from Biloxi, Mississippi. What group is he with? And I said, he's one of them independent. These like, Fourth of July is his holiday. <laughs> and you know what my home church said? We can't support that. I, I, now, this is a view from my porch, so I'm just telling you how I see it. And so I scratched and I dug and I sold a gun and I did this and I did that. Angel had this little mustache. He couldn't grow a mustache today, but he thought he could. <laughs> and there's a little line of a mustache. It just looked like a shadow on his lip. You know, a cat would take it off in about 15 minutes. <laughs> and that thing bugged me, Brother Borders. I, 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 finally, I just told Cecil, I said, get that mustache. You get that mustache off of that guy. And I said, I'll buy you a case of shotgun shells. I was a logger, and I trimmed trees and stuff. I had other sources of income. But uh, he, looks at, he looked at me and goes, okay. So he just walks up to Angelo, the first service, and goes, shave out of Angelo. That looks stupid. <laughs> Next service, he came, his lip was clean. He looked at me like, pay me, Parker. I had to pay so like that third week, he comes in, and I'm down in the basement with Sister Parker, and we had a little school going, and, man, we thought it was all, it was, it was fine. Brother Pauser had built desks to fit those old rough cement walls in there, and it was a rough basement that we finished, all right? And I'm talking about cement that's not level or anything, and we made the desks, the, what they call that, the ABC school or something? What was it, honey? ACE. ACE. That's close. Anyway, we put those desks in there, and, and, and he comes in there, and he looks around, and he goes, is this a school? You guys know Cicely, this is a school. And, and I thought, uh-oh. 
because he's about to meet Sister Parker. She calls me in the back room. She said, I don't like your evangelist. She said, get him out of here. So I'm like, you didn't say that? Did you say you didn't like him? Okay. So when she says she don't like somebody, what I interpret that as, it's time for them to go. Uh, That part was me. (laughs) Mama ain't happy and nobody happy. Amen. That's Pentecost. And so I'm in between, and I'm loving this guy because he's praying people through, and he's preaching a storm. I mean, he's brought our church. Our church, you know, I came out of a church that didn't worship much. Brother Terry didn't preach worship. They shouted about every third Sunday night. And then they all come back down and didn't do hardly nothing for three more weeks. But but Sissel was all legs and arms. I mean, he's running, and he's shouting and preaching on the hagfish, and he had that bottle of shout. He preached from a bottle of shout. And as stains don't come out, add more shout. (laughs) And it worked, brother. He brought our church to a different level of worship. And and it was like the pendulum of Pentecost. You know, he brought us to a place. And and I began to introduce him to guys around. But anyway, um, I'm, I'm putting in a position here where I need to fire him, you know. So he comes in and... He's saying something. He goes, let's go Monday. Let's go fishing. Let's go do something. And I go, Cecil, I'm busy. We had like six new adults. And on Monday morning, I'm thinking, I got to get them. I got to take care of these people, make sure they're going to stick and all this stuff. You know, you remember those days, Beatrice. Amen. She was the the little girl that that brought him. Anyway, her husband, Angelo. But anyway, uh, it was right in that, that, that process of time. And I looked up at him and I said, Cecil. I said, evangelists don't know nothing. And he looks at me and goes, I've been on the field 19 years. And you've been pastoring one year. And you're telling me I don't know nothing? I said, evangelists don't know nothing. Sorry, evangelists. But... <laughs> Some years later, Brother Cecil had a, a wreck in, in Jacks Creek, Tennessee, and I, he called me. He's crying his eyes out. And I said, dude, Brother Kilgore told me if he was me, he'd go to Tacoma, Washington, and start a church. And Sister Parker and I had went there before we came here trying to feel the will of God. And it was just one of those cities that just burning in the back of my head. And I told him, I said, if you'll come to Tacoma, Washington, Brother Cecil, you can build a church. Just forget all that back there and get in your trailer and come out here and preach for me for a month or two. And, and go look at Tacoma, and he's been there ever since. Okay? About 10 years ago, he calls me up, and Donnie Stewart, maybe 15 years ago, was just a tremendous evangelist, you know, and you guys know that. And Donnie's there preaching a revival for him, and he's wanting to go goof off on Monday. And so Cecil calls me up, and he says, hey, Jess. And I call him Sis, and he calls me Jess. Okay, so he says, Jess, he says, uh, Guess what I told Donnie Stewart this morning? I said, what'd you tell Don Stewart? He said, I told him evangelists don't know nothing. But in all honesty, they're, they're way high up in the gifts that God gives the church. And he gives the saints. You see, before you could be an evangelist, 
you've got to be a teacher. Yeah, I'm not saying you have to be a pastor, but it, it is almost like a ladder. The Bible does say for a pastor or a bishop to do the work of an evangelist, doesn't it? And that was one of the hardest things for me to try to learn. And, and I had great friends and, man, uh, it, it was a tremendous help to me. But the scripture, uh, it'll just back up the fact that, you know, I tell people this, a priest around the country, um, that the disqualifications of a priest, and it names all kinds of things like, if you have a crook hand, he can't offer the bread of God. And what that is, it is a, an illustration in the Old Testament of the law that if a young man was a Levite and he was working his way up to work and offer the bread to the saints of God, all right, if he had a blemish in his eye or if he had a blemish on his face or if he, had, he couldn't look straight, he had a, 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 an eye that looked off a little bit or if he was a dwarf or if he had a club foot, if he just, have, don't get offended at this, this is the Bible, okay? It's in the book of Leviticus, chapter 21, I believe it is. But if he, he just couldn't, because he couldn't walk straight. If he had anything about him that was wrong, the scripture said he could offer bread to the other Levites, to the families, and in the house of God. But he couldn't offer it to the people. And the very last thing, the very last thing that it names about a dis- that's what disqual- the heading in your study Bible will say, the disqualifications of a priest. And, and, and I believe that God intended for every one of us to be priests. Okay, I'm not just talking about preachers. But if you're going to come through a church and you want the pulpit, you're a young man, and you want to preach, and, and you want to get up and preach meetings, or you want to get up and preach services and things like that, you're asking the pastor to let you offer bread to all the saints. All right? The Bible said you got to show a pattern of good works, for one thing, young man. It says you got to be sober. Hello? It, it says a lot of, there's a lot of qualifications about a young man. All right? But when it gets down to the disqualification, if he has his stones broken, which means if he's unable to have children, he cannot offer the bread. And so I've preached this around, and, you know, it, it surprised some people sometimes, but I've said, you know, if you've never won a soul, all right, if you've never won somebody in your local church, you don't have any business wanting the pulpit, all right? That comes after the teacher part. you got to learn to take your Bible or a Bible study chart or, or whatever it takes. Brother Alan, our Bible study, I never, do you remember? I never brought a Bible, did I? I never brought a chart. I never brought a Bible. But some, some, he was, uh, some gals in our church was working for him, and, and he started coming to church a little bit. And I got a Bible study with him, and he probably thought I was crazy. I said, well, let's meet at Denny's. And we go into Denny's down the street here, and I don't have anything with me, no material. And I just start talking to you, didn't I? I mean, you have to be at the point. You're going to convince somebody to come live this kind of lifestyle, you better know your doctrine and you, and you better love it. You better have the love for the truth. All right? That's the first step. Be a teacher. You got, you got to fall in love with the Bible. Fall in love with the Word of God. Understand it's essential to repent of your sins. It's essential to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It is essential to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. That's essential. Right? And
And if you're apt to teach, please receive. If you're apt to teach and you are a teacher, you reach that place, all right? Then you've got to understand that and you've got to do it with good sense. You're not a teacher if you meet them on the first thing and say, well, where are you and what do you got anyway? And just like Brother Borders was talking about, Tony, he left a little three by two card or whatever they are, those little cards, that maybe three by five in a little box. And it had about 25 people in there. And Tony was one of them. And here's what he wrote on that paper. This, this man, young man may show up someday. I baptized him back a certain day. And when he walked in, the first service, Brother Will Zink could verify this. When he walked in, his brother had, was worshiping idols. And he carved, he's still around and carves idols and naked people and stuff. He was worshiping one of them and it burst into flames. I know some of you think, ah, oh, that's some kind of crazy story. You ain't met his brother. Yeah. <laughs> and I've had plenty to do with him. But Tony walks in with his family, and I leaned over to Brother Will Zine, and I'd never seen these people before. And I go, that guy, his brother, I go, that guy's got a devil. And Brother Will Zine goes, oh, you don't know what you just said. I go, yeah, I do. He said, and he told me the story. He knew about the idol bursting into flames that day and hadn't told me. He didn't expect him to come to church. All right, but you, the teaching and, and, and the carefulness that Brother Borders had used with him, he didn't press him to the point where he could realize he's not ready yet. All right, but he left me enough instruction that when he showed up, I thought, this kid's, there's something inside of him. He wasn't a kid, he's 20-something years old, but there was something inside him. And then he would come, sometimes he'd have one girl with him, sometimes he'd have two. And he'd come about once a month. Is he here today? Uh, he's probably working. Anyway, I, you're shaking your head. I thought, man, he's going to jump up and come up here and get me. <laughs> he wouldn't dare. But the point is, after about two years, he walks in one day, Brother Borders, and he looks at me, and he says, I'm ready to live for God. After a year or two, it started with Brother Borders. We're laborers together. Because you've got to be a teacher. You can be a pastor you can end up being a prophet or an evangelist or, 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 an, or an apostle. But you've got to be a teacher first. You've got to be apt to teach. All right? So you've got to get that much. Somebody say, praise the Lord. And then pastors. And the scripture said, and this is just a view from my, my porch, all right? Jeremiah said that uh, the Lord said, I will give you pastors after my heart. And so, I, you know, I told our church here quite a few times, I've come to church mad before. And, and I was going to wear somebody out. I told Sister Parker, well, brother and sister so-and-so won't be with us anymore after tonight. And her, now it's just Laura at home. They can tell when I'm in a mood, you know. Like, I'll be glad when the service is over. He'll be able, we can live with him again. Because that great struggle comes on you that when I preach this message, they're going to leave. And let me tell you, out of 33 years, 33 years, it's happened more than once a year, usually several times a year, I've went to come to the pulpit thinking when I preach this sermon, I'm going to lose a family, if not more, and not once did I ever leave it, lose any. When I felt, when I preached what they needed, and I knew they had to have it. Now, I've come to church four or five times with the, with the intention of running somebody off. And I've been successful. 
But I was leaving them no options. It was like, you stand up, everybody look at this person, they're done here. And I tell them, there's 10,000 other churches in America, go find one. It's a long ways to the end of my rope, but you found it. Somebody say, praise the Lord. And Jeremiah 12.10 says, many pastors have spoiled my vineyard. I had an older couple get kind of disgruntled. They were AOG, and they came here, and their kids had got the Holy Ghost and stuff, and, and, and they just, I found out things later why. But he was just an old rebel. And he pulled that scripture out of me one time, and he said, well, this is my problem with pastors. And uh, there's a lot of them that have spoiled the vineyard of the Lord. And I said, that's not what that means. What that means is you get more than one pastor, you get many pastors, and your head will be a jumbled junk of jello. It's many pastors that spoil the vineyard. It's, it, you think, well, I don't like this one. We had a run-in, and you want to go fight. See, this, it's go, this thing is going upward here. You can see that, can't you? All right? Don't let it go downward with you. But when you get a pastor, a real pastor... Okay, God gave him to you. All right, if he's not like you want, hello, you can't bellyache to the pastor. You got to go to God and say, God, why me? Take it to God if he's not what you think you need. You don't pack your bags and go down the road and go, hey, here's how much I make and these are my tithes and am I welcome? You think I'm in the, in the book? Look here, let's read this again. Go back to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Till we all come, verse 13, in the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God. Okay, you gotta get, you gotta get a revelation of who Jesus is. You're not in the church till you do. Well, well. Unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You, that's one of the first things you got to get. Is a revelation of the mighty God in Christ. Praise God. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. How do we become children tossed to and fro? I'm going to tell you how you become children tossed to and fro. Because the guy down the road said, well, I don't believe that. Or he lets them do this and that and lets them do that and this and they got zippers in their skirts. You can't go to church there. Hello? That's why people are getting tossed to and fro. Because we are not unified. We are not working as a body. Let's keep reading this. Stay with me, okay? And carried about with every wind of doctrine. They want to use doctrine... Every, some wind of doctrine of why you're better than the guy 40 miles away or 50 miles away. This is really good preaching. Okay? And it's going to get down to where you live and you need to understand something. If somebody has trouble living for God in my church, all right, and they come over, and I've had stories come back to me. People leave and they come back. All right? And they come back and they go, yeah, so-and-so said, I don't blame you for leaving him. That guy's hard, man. How about that? Let me stop right here and say this. Okay? 
Listen to this. Brother Kurt Walter, stand up over there. That's Kurt Walter. You can sit down. Thank you, brother. There ain't a better man in this house. There I didn't say he's the best, but he's really close. But he came to me. Um, we met. I was preaching a meeting for Brother Myers at Labor Day meeting, me and Larry, Brother Booker. I was doing days, and Brother Booker was doing nights, and Brother Kurt Walter had been left. Brother Glenn, is it Glenn Nickies? John Nickies. Uh, oh, it was Glenda. That was, his wife was Glenda. Anyway, <laughs> got that wrong. John Nickies was his pastor in, in Spokane, and he decided he wanted to go to Florida. And I love Brother Nickies. We, we're friends. I, he acts like he likes me. I, I don't know. He does or not. But Brother Walter showed up at, at the meeting because he had met Brother Myers. He met Brother Coon, and he was over there doing track hole work and stuff. And, and he'd come to this meeting, and, and he tells me this later that when he saw me, I was teaching one morning, his son Brad, probably here. You here, Brad? Right there, he was a boy and got the Holy Ghost that day. And, and he followed me into the bathroom, and here's what he said to me. He, I was in there with my brother Joe and Brother Myers' church, and he spoke to me. And I looked at him, and I wouldn't even speak to him. I wouldn't speak to him. And, and, and I may have said something. I turned and I walked out. And Joe goes, Jess, how can you be so rude to that man? I said, I'm in Wendell Myers' church. I don't know that man. Is that a little tough for some of you? I'm just telling you how we met. And he's t- that's what happened that day. And I said, I'm in another man's church. I ain't talking to him. That's the way I was raised up. That's the way I.H. Terry taught us. And, and so six months later, I get a knock on my door, and Kurt Walter is standing on my front doorstep. And I didn't say, come on in, brother. I stepped out. We got a picture of us standing in the front yard. Don't we, Sister Barton? That little yellow car you have, Brother Kurt. I still got that. And we're standing out there talking in the front yard. And I said, why are you here? And he said, Brother Myers sent me. Then I said, okay, come on in. My Uncle Myers, one of my elders, had sent him. He had been without a church how long? One year. And, and saw me to me, and God told him, all right, Brother Kurt, there were some other folks that went uh, with Brother Ickes to Florida. And that church ended up dissolving. And he stayed friends with them. Wave your hand, Brother Newman. Are you here? I'm, I'm, I'm going to use you. Okay? I, I want to tell the story because I'm going to get it right. Okay? You remember calling me from Florida? And what I did, I sent you to Wade Best, didn't I? He called me and asked me if I'd be his pastor and he could come to LaGrande, Oregon. And I said, why don't you go to Wade Bass as I hunted down. And J.T. Bass had been out here preaching for me. And I knew he believed and taught the message. And I sent him and they went to Wade Bass's How long? Since then? A year or so. Can I tell him about me and you meeting? I won't. It gets hairy sometimes. You know why she went like that? Because when he brought her, I got right on you, didn't I? First service, first time she spoke to me, she said something to me, and I told her the weakness I saw in her. I tried to run them off. She's nodding her head. Yeah, you can sit down, Brother Newman. Thank you. And his kids come from that. 
But I never contacted them. I never talked. They got their phone number from Brother Kurt. Right, Brother Kurt? And Rose and Mary and the people that were in Spokane that didn't have a pastor. I sent two preachers. I sent Kenny Condren and I forget the other one, but I sent two preachers to Spokane to meet you guys and told them that's a good start. You guys can get a good start. Go up there and start a church. But they, these are the only people that's ever moved to my church. And they didn't have another church. All of them had no, I mean, they had a, a previous pastor, but he was not holding church anywhere. And I think you told me you hadn't seen anybody get the Holy Ghost in three years. And I guess this don't count, but it does count. And never fasted one 24-hour day in your life and been going to church eight years. Is this right? He shot nodding his head, yes, for everybody on the radio. Okay? But my point is this. There's nobody else can stand up here and say, Brother Parker. Now, I told you about Brother Sadowite because Sister Lisa married a man in my church. And when somebody told me he didn't like it because somebody else was trying to date someone else in his church, I told him, stop it and don't ever do it again. You know why? It's way more important for me to have a friend that I can go to and that will stand with me in times of, of, of stress and trouble I value their friendship far more than I do a family. I don't care how rich they are. It ain't the will of God to toss people to and fro. And the way you toss people to and fro is by you got a little doctrine or a little wind of doctrine that's different than somebody else. You want to tell somebody you got something a little finer and you go to hell for stealing. You will go to the hell Brother Copeland was preaching about for stealing people. And you can say, oh, I didn't talk to them. Yeah, but if your people did, you trained your people. You're the way the buck stops. If you got people from other people's churches. We well, say, well, I can't build a church any other way. Well, it happened on accident here then. Brother Kirk, did I tell you one time about after you was here a couple years to get your stuff and pack your stuff and get out of this church and go back to Spokane? All right? He was going up and visiting and, and visiting other churches and stuff. And, and finally he said to me one time, like, I'm not going to be here Sunday morning or something. I said, why don't you just get your stuff and your kids and go move to Spokane and don't, don't ever come back here again. So, yeah, I can get rough. But you know what I saw? I saw, I, I saw a potential train wreck down the road. Okay? And, and he had enough faith in me that when I did that, you know what he did? He started shaking and crying and said, forgive me, Brother Parker. Forgive me, Brother Parker. All right, I'm not, try, I'm not telling you, but I'm just telling you, a man now that started a church that today is nearly 500 people. And he's never claimed to be a preacher, but he's went out and he's worked, we got, Thousands of people in the Marshall Islands, okay? That him and I and John and some of the rest of us have put time in and, and his son, Craig. Now, we're not boasting, you know, and I want, I don't want this to come across wrong. But I'm not talking about people that came from other people's works. I'm not talking about going to a foreign mission field where there's all these other churches and then we, that's the same thing that's going on in America. Richard Denny came to my house one day, and, and uh, forgive me if it hurts his feelings, but anyway, he's a good guy. And, and, and Bruce Howe had sent him to my house. 
And he found knives, interested us still in the UPC. And I was going to Marshall Islands, had stuff going on. And they had a missionary there. And the missionary, I called him the first time I went. And he said, it's not a good time for you to go to the Marshall Islands. He told me no. And I finally said, well, brother, I'm on an airplane. <laughs> All right, yeah, my ticket bought. I, was, I called him from the airplane when I was leaving. I thought, maybe I better tell him, the missionary, the local missionary, I'm coming. And he said, it's not a good time. Don't go. So I made another call. I called the district superintendent and of Oregon then. It wasn't Brother Tool. But anyway, I called him. And, and, and this man said to me, he said, well, where you, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to the Marshall Islands for about a month, two or three weeks, start a church. He said, you're coming back, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I'm coming back. He said, okay, I don't care what you do. I said, I might cause some waves. And I told him about the previous phone call. He goes, I'll take care of it. Just come back. All right? And we went, and we never got into it with the other guy, and we never saw him there and found out he hadn't been there for six years. And I realized that day, you know what? I need to get involved in foreign missions. I need to get, because it, it, you got to have, you got to be on, you got to be on site, don't you, Brother Bucks? He knows. And it costs money to be on site. And it costs time. And it costs time away from your church. And, and if you got the burden to do it, we're not there going trying to gather other people. We're going there trying to pray people through. You know what I'm saying? We're praying people through the Holy Ghost. Because, and then you got to have, when you start winning people to God, you got to have pastors. You got to start raising pastors. That are going to pastor those people. And so what you got to do, like you get a church going in Rocks Range, you get one going in Ron's, wherever you're at, or you get one going in, in Springdale, or you get one going in Reno, whatever the situation is, guys pass away and die, and different things happen. But you got to have pastors to go take their place. Where's your hand back there, Brother Johnny? Stand up back there. That guy, he needs to learn better English. You know what I told you? The guy that won you to God and, and the guy that put you in that church. Brother Kirk took this guy to Springdale when it's about 100 people, and he's taken it to nearly 500. Brother Kirk runs everything, all the business, all of them. He takes care of everything, okay? Thank you, Brother Johnny. But it wasn't very long ago that I, I called them up, and I said, let me tell you guys something. I'm Johnny Leger's pastor. As long as my heart's beating, as long as I'm, I'm walking around on two feet and I'm out of my bed and in my shoes, then, then when you tell him to do something, you better clear it with me first. Oh, it's hard, isn't it? No, it's not. Because you know what? We can't. Here's the deal. We got people by the hundreds. A lot of, half of those people, all right, came from Brother Carl's church in the Marshall Islands who went back. He was with me 16 years. Brother Sam brought him to church, didn't you, Sam? And he and, and, and brings him into the church. And I put the doctrine into him, and he goes back to the Marshall Islands and starts a church. Okay? And the church starts growing. And it's a five, six hundred. When we started church in Springdale, America's like the Disneyland of them. One out of a 50 people or 100 people at least would have a hope of ever owning a car, and that's a rust bucket. They come to America, they got a car in two months. All right, and a house, and their own house, and... Man, it, it's, it's like coming to Disneyland. So those people, they come to Le Grand because it's the only place there was Marshall East Church. 
I'll go back to the superintendent that came here. The superintendent sent the field supervisor of the South Pacific to my house. And he said to me, because this other missionary that was on board, there was a conflict between us. And I said, why are you here? And here's what he said. He said, superintendent sent me here to talk to you. I said, about what? He told me, just do whatever you said do. And I just just parkered him, man. I looked him in the eye, we're standing on that back deck I'm preaching about. And I said, fire your missionary. And he's like, oh, Brother Parker, I don't know. Man, I said, well, he told you to do what I said, do, didn't he? He said, yeah. He said, but give us a little bit of time and we'll, we'll work it out. You know, so kind he retired. With his retirement and everything, man, it, it worked out beautiful. And we're having revival. We're praying people through. We started church about four months ago. He's been there. Brother Neff was there. But we started church, and Brother Borders was there preaching. Craig was there preaching. I don't think Brother Walter was, but Brother Craig Walter was. But they went over there. I was there. And, and, and I went and, and met some people that were related to people in our church here. And, and one of our boys over there, Tulayman, who had preached here at one of our conferences a couple years ago. But anyway, Tulayman was Brother Carl's son-in-law. And so he had about 50 saints, 40 saints in Rita, a little town. And it was costing us money we, every, every week. We supported Brother Murphy, even bought a van and, and sent it. We, we sent uh, cargo, uh, what do they call those? Containers with vans and cars and boats and all kinds of stuff in them. And packed them full of clothes and wash machines and everything that people use there. But... Uh, a nice Sunday school band. And, and boy, Sister Murphy, she got so mad. And I think, no, brother, what's his name? He's not here. But anyway, uh, they used that van until it just, ru- it's sitting out in the yard now, just rusted to the ground. Right. Hauling people from Rita and from Laura and from, uh, you could start church on Sunday evening at about 6 o'clock, and you had about 150 people there. And by the time it got really going about 8 o'clock, there's like 500 there. And there's guys, just people that all they did, they didn't get to be in service. They just drove people back and forth in those vans. And then they rented vans to haul people. So we just, for economic sake and other things, I told Brother Carl, well, let Tuleman start a church in Rita. Well, he's losing his best preacher. All right? He's sending out his best, it's his son-in-law. And he lets him start a church and he gives him 40 people. To start with. And, and he has so much favor. He has one of the highest paying jobs on the island. He was an orphan that, that Carl took in off the streets. And he worked at the dump when he got old enough to work. And now he's become the head of all of the recycling. And, and I was going down the roads the other day and people were out sweeping their sidewalks and sweeping. I didn't have sidewalks, but sweeping their driveways and their dirt. But they're sweeping them and cleaning up in front of their houses everywhere. And I, and I looked at Brother Carl. I said, what is going on here? What are these people cleaning for? They said, that's Taliman. That's why he has so much favor. He's the one that's changed the attitude of the whole island. 30,000 people. All right? So he starts a church and has 40 people to start with around that number. And, and that little building, the school gave him. Doesn't have to pay any rent or anything. And he fills it up. And, and so Brother Borders, I think, went, or I don't know if him or Craig went first, but one of them went over there. They preached right after each other. And 
But anyway, th- these guys went and they preached and had these 40 people and there was 300 showed up. The church is, what, two months, three months old? And 300 people ganging around the 50 or 60 saints that are there. And it's growing every day. Growing every day. All right? And I'm going to tell you why. Because of church government. Because of church government. Somebody's, somebody's got to go over here and tell Taliman, and I did. When you pay your tithes, you pay them to Carl. You pay them to the pastor that sent you here. And, and, and saints don't have to understand this because we're getting above teachers. We're getting into pastors. All right? And, and let me talk a little bit about evangelists. When I was a kid, uh, the best-known evangelist that I can remember is Verbal Bean. They're still, there's got people still trying to make a living off of Verbal Bean's tapes and books. <laughs> We're still living on 50 years ago. It was more than 50 years ago. I'll be right back. Yo, take, take a stand and eight count. I'm still listening, so don't do nothing dumb. Surprise, act like I'm just starting. This is Sister Maggie Terry's Bible. You can tell it's one she carried for many years. I'm going to read to you just a couple of things out of the front. She just wrote notes to herself, 1966. Oh, let's see, that's my Aunt Kathleen prayed to. But our church dedication, May 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 1967, Brother O'Brien, Starks, Louisiana, came and preached it. I was 12 years old. Okay, 1963, our biggest revival, Joe Duke. Brother Duke and then Joe underneath it. 1963, October 22nd, December, six weeks. Six weeks, 102 received the Holy Ghost. 480 average. They passed out 1 million contacts in four weeks. In 1963, I was eight years old. And Joe Duke, say, was not just an evangelist. He was an evangelist. But, but brother, brother Bean came to our church in 1963, maybe 62, the first time. And he's preaching, and he tells Brother Terry, I got a friend I want to send here. Okay? He said, because this church has so much sin in it that I can't take it. But I got a friend that will come here and clean it up. And if you all ever knew Joe Duke, some of you just heard stories. But he came there, and we had lines. He had people, you remember that, Brother Spell? He would go in the office and say, I want to see all the young women 20 years old and under. And he'd ask them every personal question you could imagine. The next night, he'd say, I want to see all the men, married men. And he'd ask them every personal question you could imagine. And there's some people would. I mean, he just, he got in their lives. He got the little kids. He said, anybody ever touch you? Anybody ever do this? I was one of the little kids. He gets up one night Brother Duke. And he says, uh, there's adultery in this church, Brother Terry. And that's as far as he went. And on the way home, Brother Terry tells me this many years later when I got in the ministry. He says, uh, I said to him, uh, Brother Duke, who, who's in adultery in my church? He said, oh, Brother Terry, when you get a couple hundred people, there's at least three cases. 
You know what that means. There's four here or five today. That's Joe Duke preaching. Okay? And, and Brother Terry said, who are they? He said, oh, you don't understand. And Brother Terry, tell me this. Brother Terry, tell this story many times. And the next night, I'm an eight-year-old boy sitting on the front bench, Brother Colvin. And Brother Duke gets up there, and he pickety you know. He was mostly blind. He just saw people like figures. He couldn't tell a man from a woman. He was too blind. They called him Blind Brother Duke. And he said, uh, his open remarks, second, the next night, he said, that woman in the red dress right there is the one that's in adultery. And she jumped up and screamed and ran to the altar, begging for forgiveness. Man that worked for me for two, three years, best soul winner I ever knew, really taught me how to work with people. Ray Dixon. His wife, he was an a, a oil field worker, worked on Derrick's. And his wife, real cute gal, you guys remember the Manuel family? That's how they got in church. She, she was, the Manuels are her cousins. Gerald Manuel is her cousin, first cousin. And they came in church through her. But anyway, she, she was coming and she was smoking one cigarette every two days. And what she'd do is get a cigarette out and puff two or three times on it and then put it away, and then while he's at work, out in the backyard, and then she would brush her teeth, she would take a shower, she'd do everything to take that smell off of her. And Ray, her husband, for two years didn't know she was smoking. But not long before this certain night in church with Brother Duke, the devil was on her so heavy that she got between, she's telling me about it, I got between the refrigerator and the stove. There's a little gap like that where you put the roof. And she goes, I got crunched down in there. And I was begging God, God, you got to help me. Because the spirit of that nicotine, she knew was going to kill her and take her out of church. She went to church that night. And here's a line of people wanted. Brother Duke's going to have a line. And so just everybody that wants to be prayed for, just come up here. And he'd preach some nights, and he'd just do this. He'd just have a line. And, and, and they'd come up, and he'd take him by the hand. And I was sitting there as a little boy, Brother Buxton, and he took Jerry by the hand. He said, oh, cigarette devil's got you, don't it? And she told the story, all right? And she fell on the floor and was delivered that night. All right? When the Bible talks about evangelists, evangelist's job is to come to a church, all right, and pray people through. Now, this is the view from my porch, okay? Don't get your nose in anybody's business. Don't be making friends with a bunch of people. Don't act like this could potentially be my church. They got guys going all over the country today. You know, you know what we say, pastors, when we're talking to each other? Oh, he's looking for a church. We can tell the first three or four times you preach if you're looking for a church, if you're wanting to have revival. You thought we were stupid, didn't you? Am I telling it like it is, Buxton? All right? But a real evangelist... Brother Bean didn't want anybody's church. He got to Brother Terry's. He said, you clean this thing up. I'll come back and have revival. <laughs> Joe Duke prayed 102 through. That was the cleanup. And Brother Bean came nearly every year. And I'll just never forget it. Let me tell you with me why my mother never gave up on me. Because I was sitting on the front bench, me and Joe. And we wore our little black suits and we combed our hair up as high as we could. The wave was in in those days, 1963 to 1965. We would take dippity do, kind of like Ryan there, but even higher, man. We had a wave and we, we thought we was the coolest dudes 
in California. You remember those days, Buxton. You did too. Anyway, he had hair then. And Brother Bean, listen, Brother Bean walks down by the culpit, and I don't know if I've ever told you this, but he walks down, and my mother's got us boys, their arms around us, and she's crying and weeping in an altar service. And Brother Bean lays his hands on both of us, and he prophesies, and he said, these boys will both grow up and preach the gospel. So 13 years of drug dealing and running out in the world, and when everybody said, Jesse will never come back, my mama kept saying, she, that's what she held on to. The power of that evangelist, that man that knew how to pray, and that man that knew what his business was. Hello. Now, I wasn't around in those days, okay? I wasn't around when Brother Bean, you know, I was in the world when he died. Or, or close to it. But the point is, is that when I think about it now, and why was he taken from us and, and all this, but there's so much politics going on, there was so much winds of doctrine, and there was so much accusing and pointing fingers. And But the, he changed California. No one had ever preached against wedding bands there, and all the churches were full of jewelry. And here's what a lot of guys wouldn't have verbal beam because they knew he was going to pass the offering plate one night. One night, he's going to preach against wearing jewelry, and they're going to pass the offering plates, and people pull their rings off and put them in offering plates. And I know guys I could name I'm not going to, but that wouldn't have him. But everybody was praying so many people to Brother Luke that they broke down and finally said, "Okay, I don't care. You just put your rings. I don't care." It didn't matter because he had a gift. All right. And that is, is what an evangelist is for. That's why it's so high. They come in, and a pastor's job is to take care of the people that he prays through. And the saint's job is to bring the sinners to church. This stuff is simple. It's government, but this is how you do it, okay? It's not right for you to break off and then start calling people and trying to get people out of your home church or out of your buddy's church or out of your enemy's church. Let me, let me read this. Just stay with me a couple more minutes and let me read what we're talking. We're talking about the gifts God gave, okay? Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We know that, don't we? Have we heard these sermons preached? Well, listen to this. From whom the whole body fitly joined together. The whole body, the whole body of Christ it's supposed to be a body, brother borders. There's a time when him and I could have fell out, right? There was a time we could have fell out, but you know what we did? We both made up our mind we wasn't going to do that. I ain't going to get up and talk. He ain't going to get up and talk about me. Why? We're, we're joined at the hip here. We are joined at the He's done as much, nearly as brother Kurt. He's been working in these years. He's just taken on the martial works and stuff. Why you do that? Well, because we got a common person. We know we can work together. He knows he can trust me, and I know I can trust him. We are not trying to pull shenanigans on each other. And that's why it's working. All right, you got to be fitly joined together. You got to you got to love your neighbor. What do people say? Uh, you know, they have a conference, and nobody from 100 miles around comes to it. They're all over America. Some of the biggest conferences in America, your neighbors won't come to it. Why? Because you've been stealing chickens out of their yard. And you've got to get people, everywhere you go, you try to get people to come to your camp meeting or come to your conference. 
I ain't never called anybody. Who, who in here have I called and told you to come to this conference? We're going to have the conference. We're going to do it. We're going to spend the money. We're going to have the preachers here. You come on your own, didn't you? I didn't call you. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to put pressure on you. Are you coming? Now, I've had some of my boys show up at other conferences and not show up here. And it was eyeball to eyeball, peepers to peepers, and nose to noses. Some of us saying today. And I told them, look here. I don't care if you come to this conference, but don't you miss your home conference. I'm just talking about people out of this church. Why? You, you, there's a thing called loyalty. Loyalty. I ain't worried about me. I'm going to tell you something. I could go get my motor home and hook that bass boat on the back of it and go to wherever the fishing is best. And these guys would be happy. They like to preach here. They run things while I'm gone. They mess stuff up, but they run it. Our Sunday school record, right here on the same page as Joe Duke saying, March 7th, 1965, 1303, Bakersfield, California. I'll tell you what a good little saying I was. I knocked a kid's two, te- two teeth out of a kid's mouth in Sunday school that day. I'm the only one that didn't get to go to the money ring. Brother Will Hoyt was there, and I was protected some of the kids. I brought to church with me a doctor's kid, and this kid kicked him two or three times, and I finally had to talk to him by hand. I was a little devil, a little devil. But Brother Terry saw potential in me. And he said, if I can harness that energy, I can harness that zeal. And I can get that boy to listen to me and obey me and submit himself. God can use you. But you got to have government. you got to have people. you got to have somebody you need to answer to. You start to say to the day, Brother Brady, talking about people hopping around. You know, I don't think the people is as bad as the preachers are. If they didn't have no place to hop to, they'd stay home. Try this. Don't ever let anybody ever again come to your church that's from another church. Try it. You might start praying people through. Because here's what you'll see. If you don't take other people, then you'll say, man, if my church is going to grow, i got to go hit the streets. And is that Bible or not? It says, preach the gospel, what, to 